This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever wondered just what the definition of a saint really is? When we speak about sainthood, usually there are a few special names that quickly come to mind. Names like St. Francis of Assisi, St. Therese, St. Bernadette of Lourdes, to name just a few. I looked up the definition in the American Catholic, and it said, and I quote, Catholic saints are holy people and human people who lived extraordinary lives. Each saint the church honors responded to God's invitation to use his or her unique gifts. God calls each of us to be a saint. End of quote. Sound familiar? One of Mother Angelica's frequent quotes was, We are all called to be saints. One of Webster's definitions says, People of moral integrity and sanctity. Maybe it just boils down to living the faith, but canonized saints are the ones who go way beyond what is expected of us, and that pretty much describes the life of Louise de Merillac, who was the daughter of Louis de Merillac and his girlfriend Marguerite Lacamas. Louise was born in or near Paris in the year 1591. Oh, this was a period in history when France was recognized as a world leader whose power and prestige was almost without peer. In fact, King Louis XIV was referred to as the sun god because of the brilliance and glamour of his court. This did not come without a price. The rich and powerful were very rich, and the poor, well, they pretty much had nothing. Perhaps France seemed so glamorous at this time in history was the fact that many nations were exploring and developing the new world, so the Americas and Asia, while France was looking inward. This was the world that greeted Louise de Merillac. Her mother probably died shortly after her birth. History doesn't tell us too much about her. Louise's father, Louis, was a member of the socially connected Merillac family, and his brother was a prominent mover and shaker in the Queen's court, which allowed him to move in the circle of power and prestige, and, of course, that included Louise. Her father later remarried, and the new wife did not want to share her husband with anyone, especially Louise, and she took great joy in ignoring her. Consequently, Louise was sent away to boarding school, operated by the Dominican sisters. Although she would be invited back home on rare occasions, she would never live there again. The boarding school she attended was exclusive, so Louise's friends would one day become part of the elite and power structure of France. Louise was a bright student with a great interest in studies touching on spirituality. In her teens, Louise's father died and left her a trust fund that would barely cover her living expenses, much less the exclusive school she had attended. She knew the importance of education and found a school in Paris for poor girls. With her limited income, she worked her way through school and as her teen years were coming to an end, she was being drawn toward a spiritual life. 
A friendly priest had given her a copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which she devoured along with other spiritual readings. One phrase that had a profound effect on her quoted a gospel saying, The poor you will always have with you. The poor became important to her, perhaps because she remembered the luxury in which she was raised. Several new religious orders had been established in Paris, and so Louise requested permission to join one of the cloistered orders. She had never been physically strong, and probably because of this, she was refused. However, one of the spiritual directors in the convent remarked, God has other designs on her. Louise was terribly disappointed and spoke with her uncle, Michael, who had always liked her, and he attempted to convince her that because of her background and name, she had attracted a desirable husband. Now, Louise's uncle was a very spiritual man, and it's quite possible that his spirituality was the clincher. Now, this was a period of matchmaking, and her uncle introduced her to Antoine Lagrasse, who was the household secretary to the queen and what we might call a good catch. Three months later, they were married, and since they both shared the same spiritual beliefs, they were a happy and devoted couple and became favorites at the royal parties. Well, a few years later, the king was killed and the new regime that assumed the throne was bent on increasing their lifestyles of extreme luxury and opulence financed by more taxes. The poor would become even poorer, but the rich even richer. And to add to her burden, Louise's husband, Antoine, no longer had a job, and his health began to fail, and he was to be bedridden for the rest of his life, and Louise's problems were growing. Plus, she had a son, and her son was a slow learner, so she had to make arrangements for his care, which was an additional burden. But all around her, she would see people who were worse off than she. They were everywhere, all around her. They were ill, with no one to take care of them, no place for them to go, nothing. So she took them home with her and cared for them as best she could. There was a hospital in Paris, if you could call it that. There were no doctors, no nurses, no hot food, filthy and smelling, where people were taken not to get well, but to be left alone to die. Louise went to visit a friend there, and she was shocked beyond belief at what she saw. Well, she immediately sought out her wealthy friends with whom she had been close in the years before and said, we cannot call ourselves Christians if we let our brothers suffer like this. She, she convinced many of the ladies to contribute funds to buy food, some would purchase other necessities, and she took the ladies to help. The Marillac name was still known, so many listened to her, many of those who knew her from years before. Well, Louise spent long hours raising money and volunteering herself at the hospital, as well as providing for her son's training and care. She knew that what she was doing was needed, and she had an overwhelming desire to live an even more spiritual life. 
She met a wise priest who became good friends and a counselor, and one day she complained about the, the number of daily prayers she was saying. The priest told her that it was not the number of words she used, but the love through which she said them, and that made sense to her. She would leave the door open for the Holy Spirit to lead her. Incidentally, we know that priest today as St. Francis de Sales. As time passed and the French crown changed hands again, the old queen and her court were now banished, and that included the Marillacs. Her uncle and another relative were even jailed where one died, and in their memory, Louise went from her maiden name of Lagrasse back to using the name Marillac. Then she met another priest, and the two of them would leave an indelible mark on the world forever. He was a kind and holy man named Father Vincent de Paul. Father Vincent saw in Louise a woman of God who sought to help the poor and downtrodden, and she saw him as a man guided by the Holy Spirit who would provide her with the spiritual direction she needed and wanted. After her husband's lingering illness, he died, and she vowed she would never remarry and prayed to God for the opportunity of devoting the rest of her life to his service. She spoke of becoming a nun, but Father Vincent reminded her that the nuns of that day were all cloistered and that she was needed out among the people where she could touch them. And more men were joining Father Vincent in helping the needy, and he and some other of his associates journeyed to the countryside where they found even more poverty and people who had not even seen a priest or religious in years. He wrote Louise that he didn't need to sail the oceans to find pagans. They were close and needed help. He wanted a confraternity established that could be funded by the wealthy women Louise knew and that she could provide the leadership that would be the spark to ignite the fires of faith. Perhaps one of Louise's greatest assets was her ability to communicate with those in need. Plus, she had the contacts to recruit the volunteers and funds that were also needed. Her ladies were being referred to as the Ladies of Charity, and they were accomplishing much, but the demands for their assistance was growing by leaps and bounds with the discovery of more and more people in distress. More help was urgently needed. The ladies of Louise's confraternity had done a magnificent job, but the growth of her organization created a need for a more formalized plan of action. She was recruiting more young peasant women to help. Maybe a new order of sisters was needed, but there was a problem. Remember, I said this was a time when the sisters lived in cloisters. Help was needed in the streets, Neither Louise or Father Vincent considered a new order of nuns because their women had to go into the streets and houses to help. Those directing and helping had to function like, well, perhaps a group of missionaries and go where the people were. 
they would live together and share a spiritual bond of confraternity, similar to that of sisters, even though they would not be recognized as a religious order by the church. Louise taught the girls how to deepen their spiritual life, and their motto could be summed up as, Love the poor and honor them as you would honor Christ. Rather like his phrase, What you do for the least of mine, you do for me. Father Vincent was now becoming a a stronger supporter even of what he originally opposed. He told Louise, Your convent will be the house of the sick, your cell a hired room, your chapel the parish church, your cloister the streets of the city or the wards of the hospital. Their dress was to be that of peasant women, and they would be known as the Daughters of Charity. At this same time, Father Vincent de Paul had created a group of priests following his calling to bring Christ to the parishes of France where there was no church to teach the word of God. His priests would later be known as the Vincentians. They would bring the word of God to a village, and the Daughters of Charity would follow, reinforcing their words and helping the needy. Louise's Daughters of Charity were trained by Louise herself on how to care for the poor, the suffering, and the sick, remembering that the poor rarely received any help, much less doctors or nurses to assist them with their needs. We have to ask ourselves now, What would we have done? What would we do then? And perhaps, what are we doing now? Well, again, more and more men were joining Father Vincent de Paul, and he had to move to larger quarters. They moved into a building that had been known as the Hospital of St. Lazare. And Louise was becoming more and more concerned with all the many activities that her group was performing, and she felt that perhaps the time had come to formalize the structure of her congregation. And so on the Feast of the Annunciation in 1634, they became a true religious order, although not recognized by the church, when 15 young women lived together and took their official vows. And as more and more young women were joining her order, Louise was forced to find larger quarters, which she did. Their space was not adequate for a chapel, so they used the parish church as their chapel. And since most of the girls were unskilled but eager to serve God as best they could, Louise was always careful in teaching the new girls all that would be required to carry out their responsibilities, regardless of how distasteful they might be, but knowing they were appreciated by God. They were taught their catechism as well as the parable of the Good Samaritan that demonstrated who their neighbor was, and that was anyone in need, and to see Christ in everyone. So that they could be identified as the daughters of charity, Louise decided they should all dress exactly alike, their own version of a habit, which was a plain gray dress with a a little piece of cloth like a handkerchief which they wore on their heads. They quickly became known as the gray ladies. 
The largest hospital in Paris was also the poorest, housing more than 20,000 people a year with few nurses and even fewer doctors. Plus, the hospital was filthy, with no one even to do the laundry. Louise was horrified, and she recruited a number of ladies who comprised a confraternity and who, under Louise's leadership, raised the money to improve conditions, increase the staff, and, and even provide six chaplains to care for the patient's spiritual needs. The work of Louise and her girls were becoming more noticed and admired for what they were accomplishing, which attracted more girls to the order, just as more men were becoming Vincentians. Father Vincent was walking down a certain street in Paris and found a baby that had been abandoned in an alley. Soon he found another and was told this was not unusual. When someone had too many mouths to feed, well... The babies were discarded. He was horrified and went directly to see Louise. His first words were, We must start an orphanage. Of course, she agreed, and soon 12 babies were taken to Louise's little convent, and she immediately looked for larger quarters. Civil strife in France increased, which generated even more poor, desperately needing help. So Louise and her sister set up food kitchens to feed the hungry. Father Vincent did many retreats to teach the men about the faith, but in that time, women were pretty much ignored. So Louise started retreat sessions for women, lasting for a week or more. And interestingly, often a lady of high social structure would be seated next to a poor peasant while they learned more about the love of God and how each was important to him. The results were powerful, to say the least. There was never a time to relax. As soon as one need was met, a new one was discovered. For example, Father Vincent came with a new opportunity, if that is the right word. The very worst criminals were sentenced to the galleys of ships, where they were chained together, naked, often without food or water for long stretches of time. No plumbing and nothing to look forward to. The very angriest of the worst, Father Vincent said, they need God. Louise agreed and said she would see that they got him. She sent her sisters in pairs with food and medicine, and you can only imagine the hostile and hatred heaped upon them by the prisoners, the jeering, the insults, the curses. They ignored this and kept up their visits, and soon they were welcomed by the prisoners as the nuns brought them God. Even though they were not recognized as a true order by the church, the local archbishop was amazed at what they had accomplished and only cautioned Louise not to spread herself too thin. Saying that she would never ignore a call for help, she sensed the greatest needs to be met were in the fields of health care in the hospitals and those of education. Of course, the ladies' groups were still helping by raising funds for her work, and she received from some of them the news that the poor were being warehoused in what was called a hospital in the nearby city of Angers, 
where people were being taken to die with hardly any food or water and practically nothing in the form of health care. And the mayor of the city acknowledged the tremendous need that he was not able to meet, and he asked Louise and her sisters to take over the management of the entire hospital. Well, as usual, Louise agreed, with no small amount of trepidation but a larger sense of faith. Her first success was adding chaplains, and in the space of just a few months, the hospital was completely turned around. Well, word of her success spread like wildfire, and soon they were receiving requests from throughout France as as well as some foreign countries. So, in another city, a hospital was turned around, and then another, and another, and even more. Her administrative responsibilities were now so great that she could not go herself but train others in administration and spend most of her time overseeing all their activities. She said, My cross is to give up the work I love most, and others can go and serve. Well, success after success followed, but then there was another political uprising in France and many areas became battlefields with men wounded and dying on the spot with no one to care for them. The queen told Louise there were no nurses to help on the battlefield and her response was, we will go, and go they did. They were familiar sights on the fields of battle. As the fighting subsided and a degree of normalcy was returning, Louise's son was now grown, and she wished for him to enter the priesthood, but he preferred to marry. Well, Father Vincent intervened and told Louise that the now-grown young man did not have a vocation to the religious life. She finally agreed, and the de Marillac name helped him to get a good job and eventually marry. With all she had achieved, she had never actively pursued the recognition of her order. Louise was too busy doing good. But the new local archbishop required all the information about her order, the rules, all the details which were studied, and then sent to Rome for further review. And 25 years after founding her order to serve the poor and the needy, the church officially recognized the Sisters of Charity. Someone asked Louise what she was really looking for when she searched through the slums of France. Her answer was simple. I am looking for Christ. As usual, Time has not allowed us to outline all the many accomplishments of this truly remarkable woman. These have been just a few of the everyday events in her life. She spent the greater part of her life saving and helping neglected children, the hungry, the sick, the dying, the poor of spirit, educating and helping those who were looking for God. When she was called home on March 15, 1660, after years of toil and fragile health, her congregation had more than 40 religious houses in France. She 
planted the seeds that blossomed into the Sisters of Charity, now working in 30 countries around the world. She was canonized a saint by Pope Pius XI in 1934. And the Sisters of Charity have also produced other great saints, among whom was St. Catherine Labouret, to whom the Blessed Mother appeared in 1830 at the Rue de Bac in Paris and gave her what we now know as the Miraculous Medal. And in our own country, another of the Sisters of Charity was St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and the blessings she brought our country. Maybe there's a lesson for us from the life of St. Louise de Marillac, particularly when someone says, what can one person do? She taught us. She taught us you can reach for the stars, and with God's help, you can touch them. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.